This is Small Talk with Elise, episode 15. Today we are continuing on to part 2 from our last episode. If you missed part 1 of this, check out episode 14. This episode will be about religious faith crises, the CES letter, excommunicated former LDS Bishop Sam Young, a YouTube channel called Mormon Stories, and how Jordan Peterson helps to form a new perspective on Christian beliefs. But the thing that that um, that I think we're Mormons and Gnostics sort of touch base on is that Jesus provides like this ultimate example by which we should imitate or um, yeah, by which yeah. we should orient our lives and imitate that figure. And I think there's another part. So so like obviously none of um you know Joseph Smith's theology that he brought is not going to be same. Uh, an exact carbon copy of Gnosticism because first of all, Gnosticism is not a theology, I think. Um, but I think there was a really strong point made in one of the, in the Pharisee talk. Um, and it was kind of connecting the, the resilience and kind of fear of creeds that we have in, in the LDS church. And that is kind of really similar to, to the, that point that, you know, that view that Jesus came and, he kind of said, you know, just because you're checking off this list of how many steps you're walking on the Sabbath and, and uh, you did, and you didn't touch any dirty Samaritans or dead bodies this, this week, uh, that makes you a good person, right? And he was kind of throwing out the list and saying, well, actually, there's not 10 commandments. Uh, you can summarize them into two basic principles, uh, love God and love your neighbor with all your, all your heart, might, mind, and strength, right? And so, mm-hmm. so I kind of see this connection between the, the anti-creeds nature of Mormonism and, and that view of, of Jesus um, playing that, that role in, in upturning those creeds. Uh, yeah, so in great observation. Um, I think one of the things, one of the themes that ran within that talk and within all the talks actually at the conference, which I thought was really interesting was the point that um, Nicholas was trying to make, he's the speaker that gave that, that speech about the, the, the Pharisees. One of the things that he points out was that when, when uh, God the Father and Jesus Christ appeared to Joseph Smith in 1820, they, a lot of Mormons, I guess, make, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They sort of like uh, sloppily say, oh, well, God told Joseph Smith that all the churches are wrong. Yeah, um, but in reality, what he said was, "Oh well, all their creeds are an abomination unto me." Mm-hmm. And so, um, Nicholas' point in well, one of his points in that talk was, "Oh well, we have to get over this whole creed type of thing." And and he even went so far as to say, "Well, creed, like you know, you have a creed, let's say like a, a proposition of a declaration of faith, um, but other things can serve." as a type of creed, like let's say a list of commandments or maybe your temple recommend um, questions. And he said, well, hold on, let, you know, God specifically told us to not abide by creeds. So let's be more careful in the future and, and see if we can um, break free from that type of framing when we approach uh, gospel topics or uh, a religious life. 
and one yeah. of those creeds he pointed out um, was a prophet, actually. And he said, okay, let me back this up. I, I'm a dedicated member of the church, perfect testimony. You know? <laughs> and then he said, but I want to make a point, right? And he was like, what if a prophet could serve as a creed? And I think his definition of creed was something along the lines of, uh, if someone tells you, just do this, just follow this, and you'll be fine. Like, you'll be saved. He's, that's kind of how creed. he defined a creed, right? And a lot of, I would say, our fellow, fellow religionists would, would ascribe to that. Like, oh, because we sing it every, in primary, right? It's like, follow the prophet. Follow the prophet. Uh, it's straight. almost like that the creepy uh, brainwash himself. <laughs> follow the prophet. Follow. You're starting and, to and they play that with, the, with like, starting to foam out of the side thing. of your mouth or something. <laughs> and, and they always play that, that clip with people at General Conference raising their hand, and it looks like we're all like, yeah. Like, whoa, uh, holy cow. But, but out of all seriousness, I, I think there's a good point there. And I was actually really interested to see how my, like, um, orthodox, pretty orthodox friend would respond to that. So I asked him, like, afterwards, I was like, what do you think of, like, all of that? That's why I asked him, like, did you think it was, like, apostate and stuff? He fell he asleep like, at that part, he didn't he? No, 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 he wasn't asleep. Okay, he, okay, he I, said, I saw him fall asleep. <laughs> during a portion of my speech and i even called him out afterwards i'm like dude come on. and he's like no no i had a long day at work yesterday I'm like, that's right Mine was, it was right. he had to drive all the way down from a salt lake last oh, week he, he thought the event was in salt lake and i told him like like two hours or three hours before i was like dude it's a it's in uh what springview provo yeah, yeah south springview. provo <laughs> so he had to, he had to drive down he's he was pretty tired but, Wait, he but what do you say then his view yeah. was Oh my goodness, I learned so much from that. I am the Pharisee. I never thought that. Like, like I am actually the people that Jesus was criticizing. I need to I need to focus on the real stuff and and stop focusing so much on on all the rules. Um and so he totally saw that as as a good point. He was like, Oh yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Like, yeah, prophets could totally serve as a creed. Um to some people that that's totally true that's so when you say prophets could serve as a creed just so i'm clear like in the sense that you're saying well as long as you follow the prophet you'll be fine or is, we heard what the prophet said just do it and you'll be fine like that type of idea exactly that- which which would be in opposition to you know nelson president nelson just came to byu and he said um specifically he said don't just trust us for our word like he asked he said make sure you get your own personal confirmation of that. And yeah. be, don't just trust us blindly. Like you should think about what we're saying. You should ponder it. You should flesh it out. And then of course you could put in the terms they say, get a spiritual confirmation. I personally, uh, I, I don't know very many people who actually do that. And if they try, it's, it's pretty hard just to get a spiritual confirmation for right. anything really. Mm-hmm. But I, I like that point because I think that's what the Gnostics and Mormons have in common again is this, this personal experience, right, of the religion. It has to be a very personal thing. It's not, it's, it has to be, that's where personal revelation comes in. It's in a little bit in opposition and tension to the, to the creeds or the top-down kind of approach to religion, would you say? Yeah. Yeah, I'd, well, I'd agree with that. What are your guys' thoughts on, so, I mean, the, I, I get that, but and, and some to some extent, there is also kind of an argument that, before you can get to that point where you're focusing on this higher idea, this ideal and this meaning, this optimization, you have to adhere to some type of creeds that you don't really understand why. But when you do that, you'll be, get to a point eventually where you could kind of get there. But for most people speaking, you have to just 
do these little dogmatic things here and there and and that'll get you in a good enough position where you might be able to get through the bushes and the weeds and be said oh okay now i know what i have to do what do you what are your guys thoughts on that alejandro go ahead um yeah i think there's definitely a, a developmental progression when it comes to adhering to um a system of ethics or a, a religious system you know you can't expect people who are novices let's say in in the faith to know instantly what it what it means to uh be like christ and to imitate him but you know you start out with with the with um with the list of rules or whatever the goal might be you know come to church every sunday might be a good starting point or right what's the seminary answers read your scriptures go to church and pray right yep yep um you start with those and then you can start um i I don't want to say delving deeper, but um, you, you can get a better insight into what you're supposed to do as time goes sure. on. And yeah. you so I've, well, I've heard this those. as milk before meat, right? Um, the only point I would add to that, this is what Greg Prince said, is, well, where's the meat, <laughs> right? Because cause typically the answer is, like, you're totally right. It is, there is something like, you know, if you're investigating the church, uh, you probably want to start with the basic stories uh, if i threw out five different accounts of joseph smith's vision at you on my first lesson uh, <laughs> i don't even know one. how you would that right <laughs> yeah uh, there's no, a well, that's point. a good objection that you bring up you, but but like i think there is a progression and you have to start basic but if that deeper stuff is not available uh which i would actually say a lot of times you know you don't people don't feel comfortable discussing it at church which is which is a problem well, here's here's one way to look at it, and this is the this was the point of my talk. Um, there's this thing called the nine dot problem. I don't know if you've heard of it. What it is is you put up uh, you put up nine dots, right? Three by three dots, 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 right? And then you tell okay. the person, hey, you need to connect these nine dots using four lines, and um, the four lines need to be continuous. And then you tell them, go ahead, try it. And ninety nine percent of people can't uh, do it for some reason, right? And they always fail. And then what happens is they, they look at the dots and then they try to draw the lines within the area that the, that the, um, the dots um, overlap. So for example, uh, right, you put the nine dots in a square and then you'll notice that most of the people doing this problem will attempt to draw the lines within the square in which the dots are found, okay? And then what happens is in order to solve the problem, in order to solve the problem, you have to draw a line that travels past um, the, the square that the dots have made. And then once they do that, right, once you show people that, people say, oh, my gosh, I, you're cheating, or uh, why didn't you tell me I could do this, or something like that. And then they, they kind of are surprised or maybe even upset. And then you, you draw several lines that go past that area, and then you're able to, to connect all the nine dots. And the, the point of that, um, what I was trying to describe at the conference was that's what's called breaking frame. And so I, I think, I don't think it's a good idea to discuss religion as like milk or uh, yeah, milk before meat. Uh, the thing I'm trying to, I guess, um, talk about is something more like uh, what you might, what I might call breaking frame. So you have all these relevant pieces of information and, and, and the point of the nine dot problem is that when you are given information, your brain automatically creates a frame of reference in which all those items are relevant. And your brain does this to be adaptive. Um, however, that same cognitive uh, process can also put you in a trap because you might 
you know, the people who do the the people who do the nine dot problem they create a frame, but that frame isn't sufficient enough to solve the the problem, and so you have to break frame. You have to create a new frame, and then you have and then once you do that, you realize oh, all this empty space around the the dots is relevant, and it's not that it wasn't there before. You just didn't realize that it was relevant, mm-hmm. and so. Um, the the theme that I saw within all three talks uh, that were given at the conference was um, the first talk was about neurology and how um, our neural networks sort of create a representation of what we might believe or what we might believe exists. And so um, expanding our, our, um, our neural networks is like creating a bigger map for us to uh, view the world. And then with Nicholas's, uh, talk his thing was about well let's not narrowly hold on to these frames or excuse me these creeds and then my talk was about okay well you have all this information and you think this portion of it is relevant but let's expand what might be relevant and then maybe that'll give us a better frame um, that we can use to solve big problems that's a really interesting comparison that you brought up i think i think that's really good actually um like having the the dots were always there the the pen strokes were always there but it's just that you didn't think about breaking outside of that frame um in order to solve the problem right i guess i would ask you what is your opinion on when you break a frame does that new framework is that inherently or objectively superior though or better in some way to the the prior framework it it depends it's hard to say because problems are so complex that it's hard to say, I guess you could say, so I'll say this and then I'll say something else. I guess you could say if the, if the new frame helps you solve the problem, then it was better than the previous frame, right? For that um, problem though. For that problem, right. Okay. Um, but on the other hand though, and this is the point uh, I was trying to make when I was bringing up Sam Young and Kate Kelly and John Dillon. One of the things that they do, uh, and the CES letter falls into this category too. When people get their hands on their work, um, and the CES letter, I think, is the best example. The CES letter is like what 140 pages long, and they'll they'll give you like you know it's basically it's essentially a huge list of like all these things that you didn't know, and then yep. you're you're overwhelmed with all that novel information, and then the frame the traditional dogmatic frame that you had, um, in which you viewed Mormonism, is not broken, and then the problem with uh, the CES letter is that it, it doesn't provide a new frame for all that information. It sort of just leaves it open-ended. And and I'm not saying that the guy knew this, but that was that's what his intuition was. That's why it's such a great tool to dissuade Mormons is you overload the subject with uh, all this new information. You don't have, you don't give them a frame of reference um, in which to uh, interpret it. And then um, you just say, well, see how uncomfortable you're feeling. That must mean this is all false or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, if you don't have which, a frame, which is the frame of reference, right? That they're providing. Right. That's one frame of reference. Right. And then what happens is e- either you adopt. So here's the thing. You either adopt a bad frame. Well, hold on. Let me, let me back up. If you don't have a frame, it's deeply uncomfortable and it's preferable that you adopt a bad frame than have no frame. You have at all. no frame. Yep. Right. And so people like Sam Young and Kate Kelly, um, they're 100% ideologues. And so, um, the ide- the ideology that they have just fills in the gaps for the frame that was broken. And yeah, then they, but, they go off the deep end. 
real quick, sat on Sam Young. He's the one protesting out, doing the the um, the hunger strikes to get it so that bishops don't interview any kids, uh, yeah. any any don't ask any explicit sexual questions in any interviews. So I'm just curious, why would you throw him under that same ideologue um, part as Kate Kelly? Because I kind of saw him as kind of like a um, like a more reasonable. Um, that like almost that all Mormons should be supporting type thing. What, what would, how would you? Well, okay. So I, I'm not saying that Sam Young isn't reasonable. Um, but what I am trying to point out is that Sam Young's approach to this problem of, uh, let's say, um, abuse of children within the church. He, he, I think he's trying to put his attention or put his finger on, on, on a problem. And I think that's great. But I think yeah. what, when it when it comes to like the doc the, the, the not the dogman but the ideological um, underpinnings of what he's doing is he believes that activism is uh is like the appropriate okay response right. to that and not only that yeah. but like his tweets and 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 opinions about certain doctrinal topics are they have a certain ideological lens um, yeah. that I and and look we're all susceptible to ideology and so I'm not trying to say that Sam Young is like not doing great work or that his effort is fruitful or uh, fruitless or anything like that. I'm just trying to say, Hey, let's see where your framing is bad and let's see if we can improve it. Okay. I see. Yeah. yeah. I just added that. It seemed like Sam Young was using a good cause, like advocating for not having children get asked these questions and being accompanied. He was using that as his cover, like, Hey, look, I'm doing a good thing. But then at the same time he would like, stand up in state conferences and start yelling things and he would post all these very critical things um of the church and he seemed to be driven by a certain more bitter and resentful form of against the church but i'm still in the church because i'm going to make all these changes type thing but yeah well it, okay. it's hard i mean look at the example with with my bishop right um, i was just trying to post uh, an event on my facebook page and look at the resistance that brought about trying to make sweeping changes on church policy and stuff like that is never going to be easy and it's it's going to take forever um and and the i don't know why people don't realize this like the church is a worldwide organization organization it has a huge skyscraper not huge but it has a skyscraper that's its headquarters like that's a lot of bureaucracy that's a lot of red tape and um and the church historically even does not change easily and so getting getting people to to change how they do certain things is super difficult and getting upset over it and then resorting to activism that to me just speaks volumes like hey you don't or you aren't capturing like how this is working you know and um and uh, hey man i mean i think i mean i'm not against sam's cause right It's, it's a good cause but i think again maybe his his framing is bad and it needs to be improved yeah no, all both of you made really good points. I honestly have not looked into Sam Young much. Uh, all I've heard is is um, is those positive views, you know, the good things that he's been promoting. So if there is some more extreme views he he's putting out or hostile views, um, yeah, I was I'm not familiar with it, uh, but that's really interesting. I would also like to go back on the framing part. Then so so. I just thought it was really interesting, like with the CES letter, like exactly what you said, like you basically described a faith crisis, right? Which is basically when your frame breaks, like all your views of Mormonism get shattered by Jerry Reynolds list of like 
what is it, 100 and something? It's 140 pages. 100, 140 pages or 140? Every items? sentence, there's a thing that destroys your Mormon framework. <laughs> so it's like pulling there's out like 200,000. I don't know. <laughs> pulling out one post at a time under, under your house. Uh, and then it collapses, right? And, you, and you're left without a frame. And like to give Jeremy Runnels some, some uh, credit here, this was his own house being torn apart. And the background of this story that kind of makes it like a legend is that he sent this to some CES director or teacher. And he was like, I need a response. And they're like, yeah, I'll get you a response. And then they didn't come out with the response after like several weeks. So he's like, all right, I'm posting this, I don't know, Reddit X Mormon or somewhere like that. And then it caught <laughs> yeah. fire. Right. And yeah. And yeah. And then, so, so after breaking that framework or you're in a faith crisis, you don't know where to turn. And that's where I think Jordan Peterson, we had this whole debate, right, in episode 12 or episode 11 mm-hmm. um, on Small Talk with the Lees. And it was, well, is this going to provide a better framework or is this going to be able to help the framework survive, help you stay in Mormonism? Is it like, is this, is this actually some antichrist framework? Like that was kind of the discussion there, right? I, I'd be curious to hear your views, uh, Alejandro and Justin, if you want to chime in. On, on whether or not Jordan Peterson is uh, helping the, the framework. Or, oh, helping the framework. Okay. Yeah, on that framework issue. I, I so think, if someone reads the CES letter, you know, you know, is mm, it like, okay, then you give them Jordan Peterson after that. Like, what? I don't know. Mm, what you, okay. So, I mean, I, I don't think you can make a connection. Like, I, like I'm not going to make the claim that if you read Jordan Peterson's work, you're going to, you're going to not be dissuaded by the, or it's going to answer any questions that the CES letter provides. But I think what's valuable about Jordan's work is that um, he brings to your attention things that maybe you didn't think were relevant and and they're actually very relevant. Um, How does that relate to the CES letter? Um, Well, one of the things that you can do when, when you read that is, first of all, you want to see if what, read what the letter says and see what you can see if you can reframe what it's saying right because when he writes he okay when you start reading the cs letter he he provides several premises and then there's his uh his conclusion right and he and he he builds an argument with with each bit of fact that he presents some of his premises aren't very uh um they aren't very uh strong and you can actually pick those apart quite easily and so, um, and then others are stronger than, than others, right? But, in, but the temptation when you read that is, oh, this person's an authority and what they're saying is probably truthful and it's also logically consistent. And that's the framework within, um, within which you're reading that, that, uh, that document. But what you can do is you can say, okay, well, let's see if we can, we can uh, break frame on some of these. And I think that's useful. Um, the cool thing about Jordan Peterson is when I discovered him, this was before his biblical lectures and before his, uh, before his political scandals, um, I was just watching his, uh, his courses on psychology. Uh, one of them was personality and its transformations. And the other one was about his book maps and meaning. And what he, and what he does is he, he takes old arguments and he breaks frame on all of them. And yeah. even frames that I had, you know, I took psychology when I was in high school, I took AP psych and I hated it. Um, and there was a specific, like two or three reasons why I hated it. And then when I watched Jordan Peterson's first lecture about personality, he brought those up and said, oh, well, you might think this, this, and this, 
and this is why that's not relevant or what this is why that's not the most relevant way of looking at it and i was like oh yeah this yep. is great so i guess the the wisdom um that jordan peterson is providing is he, he he he's a really good example of someone who like breaks frame on on like all the arguments and all the assumptions and he doesn't necessarily answer your question but he at least gives you an example that you can follow and practice you know maybe uh breaking frame on certain assumptions that you had yeah justin yeah. did you want to say anything about that yeah i, I mean similar along what alejandro is saying you know that video that they sometimes show you where they're like passing the ball back and forth in a circle yeah and, the and they say like how, how many times yeah and the gorilla guy walks by but no gorilla, one sees yeah. it because they're looking at the ball and right. you are we're wired to see what we're looking for right so when mm -hmm. we if we have the ideology of a conservative right when we look at something we're going to say well you know we're going to view it from well if they're working hard they should get what they you know what they earned or whatever so we're always kind of approaching it with these principles so axiomatic starting points are everything and Jordan Peterson, as Alejandro says, kind of helps to break those and reframe a lot of these religious questions from different starting points that we may have never tried before. So me personally, as a member of the church that grew up in this faith, we always look for, okay, are we keeping, you know, the word of wisdom or the word of chastity? Are we looking at pornography? Are we looking at this, this, that? You know, there's a lot of things we can check off. But Jordan Peterson kind of, you know, sweeps that away and say, okay, sure, that could be important, but let's look at the bigger picture let's look at these narrative structures that really give us meaning and and how we act and what we do and stuff so i would say it changes it in a lot in in that respect while you know those other things such as the ces letter or or sam harris and richard dawkins are giving you helping you think of things a different way but it totally just kind of shatters your your previous framework and it doesn't replace it with much except a few few nice ways to look at the world but it doesn't seem to really be that cohesive or comprehensive and stuff so that's kind of my just my initial yeah. gut reaction to a lot of these yeah. these types of narratives and, and frames right. and stuff and 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 i think we're not i'm at least i'm not even trying to say here that you can't be happy and be an atheist or you can't be happy um and be be a be out of a religion I wouldn't actually make that claim, but I do know it's it's definitely psychologically disturbing, at least for many years, for for people that do leave religions who have their framework shattered. And most people, um, a good majority, they've done surveys on this. Um, they have a faith crisis survey that people have a really hard time actually finding adjusting. a better life after that and adjusting to a new. Yeah, family. and yeah, yeah and what, what I'm. One of my criticisms of people like John Blinn and, and Kate Kelly, Kate Kelly not so much because she she actually tries, but um, John Delin, for example, and he, okay, he tries a little bit too, but I don't think John Delin is the Mormon stories guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, he he's not. I don't think he's as effective as Kate Kelly, but Kate Kelly I think is more effective because she employs ideology. So this is what happens. Um, let's say you you break. Uh, let's say your frames are broken, right? And um, Jordan Peterson talks about this when he talks about Nietzsche. And he says, you know, because Nietzsche talked about this, you know, once you lose your faith in a belief structure, you tend to lose your faith in all belief structures. And then you're left with like a type of nihilism. And, um, and then Jordan Peterson argues that one of the things that Nietzsche was getting at was that once Christianity... Um, 
undermined itself with its obsession with truth, right? People yeah, will lose the scientific that. revolution. Right. Um, you know, people will lose their faith in that and then they would either enter this type of nihilism or they would be possessed by ideology. And then that's like the basis of Jordan Peterson's work. And I, I think that's super helpful when, when you, uh, when you're navigating this type of thing. Um, you know, I'm, if someone has a faith crisis, right, we have to be understanding and we have to also understand there's two dangers, right? One is a type of nihilism and like unability to adjust. And then the other is adopting uh, an ideology, which again, is like that. It's an insufficient frame. And so, um, so we have to be really careful uh, about, about that. Yeah. And I think you're, you're absolutely right on that. There's, and the evidence points to that, um, you know, that context specifically, if you p- apply that to Mormon specifically, like anyone that leaves the Mormon faith, uh, you don't see them joining like the Catholics or the Protestants mm-hmm. or, or some other brands. They pretty much straight go to like ag- agnosticism or, or atheism because all their frameworks are broken. And Yeah, and, and I don't see, I, I mean, I see an attempt from John Dillon and Kate Kelly to sort of create a community of ex-Mormons. Mormon stories is obviously like a point of contact for a lot of them. And for Kate Kelly, ordained women was a definitely a big group to which people uh, could go to once they've experienced a type of faith crisis. But these groups, um, I don't think, are sufficient enough to really. Uh, well, I don't know. It's hard to say because I'm sure if you'd ask anyone within that group, they'd say, "Yeah, it's great." But uh, but I guess the the data that you're citing is something you know is suggesting. Oh well, these people actually have a hard time adjusting. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's what it shows. Very good point. And I guess full disclosure here, personal opinion. I honestly, um, I listen to Mormon stories all the time. I really enjoy the work that they do. Um, we were driving down the freeway the other day with my friend, (laughs) we're heading down South and we saw the big billboard and it's like, Oh, faith crisis, you know, uh, you know, they, they, they put it all up over I-15. You probably see it if you're anywhere from Ogden to, to Payson. Um, but I, I really enjoy the work cause I don't think of his thing as a community so much for me. It's more like he, he has a platform where he allows people from all sides, you know, you got uh, faithful scholars and then you have totally anti, you know, they invite Jeremy Reynolds on there mm-hmm. and then you have people with, with high ranking leadership going on there and telling all their stories, their testimony, their childhood. That's the part I really enjoy. So uh, I don't disagree, you know, with, with anything that has been said there, but I do, I just want to disclose. I love. I love listening to the stories that are presented because there's, there's so many different points of argument on there. That's really nice to hear different points of view. And I guess kind of my beef with uh, the fairs and farm works that is be do, that's being done right now, that's kind of the old apologetics, right? Now we have the neo-apologetics, which would be like um, Gregory Prince or would be like Jordan Peterson type thing in, t- in terms of Christianity. And, and, my view is the fair, fair and farms articles is typically where people will look after they look at CS letter mm-hmm. and they'll, they'll think the, the problem with that is fairs and farms is trying to rebuild the old frame after it's been destroyed. They're going yeah, and exactly. setting out the construction workers, right? But the house is already burnt down. There, it has to right. be rebuilt with new wood, I would say. And, and that's where I see the benefit of people like um, uh, Terrell Givens, even if you want to put him out there, or Richard Bushman's rough stone rolling. That's kind of the neo-apologetics I would describe. No, yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that that's why it's so important. The, the frame problem is such 
is so critical when if we're going to approach like these big problems. Like think about think about this. Most missionaries are still reading um, articles of faith and and Jesus the Christ, right? The lectures on faith? No, no, no. Um, Talmudge's work. Oh, okay. So Talmudge's book, Articles of Faith, and Jesus the Christ. Those are still like in the approved missionary library. In the library. We had, yeah, we had Jesus the Christ. We didn't have the Articles of Faith one though. And then I think miracles, what is it? The miracle of forgiveness? No, that's gone. We had, they used to even have the like Relief Society one. But now it's just four. They have the uh, uh, Jesus the Christ, and then the one by I think Ballard. It's the happy pursuit of happiness, and then they have uh, the pioneer uh, one, our heritage. Uh, okay, but so anyway, sorry. Yeah. So let's take Jesus the Christ for example. Okay, that book was written over a hundred years ago, and we're still <laughs> using it. You know, and so we have these twenty-first century problems um, that we're going to be facing, and we can't. I mean, and not you know, I don't want to criticize those works are valuable right but with with as time passes they become more and more insufficient and so we have to start reframing how we start looking at at these problems you know one of the things that i really love about um jordan peterson and john verveke um john verveke is a psychologist as well at university of toronto and um he has he has a a a youtube series called awakening from the meaning crisis which is super great if you really want to learn about uh, philosophy and spirituality one of the things one of the things that those two psychologists speak about is um is uh participating rather than um or they they call it participatory knowing rather than propositional knowing so here going back to the creeds the church and not just the church but like all of christianity right now is sort of obsessed with this propositional you know i believe statements um you know if you want to be saved, you have to declare that Jesus is the Christ, et cetera. But what they focus on is no, 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 no. You have to participate. You have to act it out. Right. Um, Yeah. Belief is best determined by your actions. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, I really like, I think there's a quote, but I think it's Marvin Ashton. He's, he's actually talking about something way more controversial, but we won't get into that. He says you could baptize a pile of sand and uh, it wouldn't do you any good. Uh, Basically, you would be the same as that pile of sand over there. That I Joe Smith said that. Uh, it probably, yeah, maybe it's quoted from <laughs> Joseph Smith. <laughs> oh, it was like Heber Al- C. Kimball, actually. Oh, okay. Was it him? Heber C. Kimball. The exact quote is, he's saying people want this and want that. And uh, what good would all this do to you, do for you if you do not live up to your profession and practice your religion? not as good as for me to take a bag of sand and baptize it, lay hands upon it for the gift of the Holy ghost, wash it and anoint and then seal it up to eternal lives for the sand will be saved. Having filled the measure of its creation, but you will not except through faith and obedience. Yeah. Well, I think that's interesting because a lot of kind of along what you guys are saying with um, like those creeds and stuff, like a lot of members think that when you go bear your testimony, all you have to do is say like, Oh, I know the church is true. And that's like the, the, prime thing you always have to throw in you know the church is true um you know and and it's kind of classic like on the mission they would always kind of say the same things they have these these really rigid like oh make sure you know you don't drink coke or i don't know there's some just some <laughs> well, a lot of weird i mean it, it's not that it's bad right that's not what we're saying um it's just that it's not it's not all there is to faith or to religious practice, you know, just saying it, right? 
you have to right. be involved more. Right. It's yeah. insufficient. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. It's it's not that these dogmas or these practices or even even these professions of belief are negative. And in fact, I think it helps a lot with it. But the main point here is is the acting out, the doing. That's way more important than just the the statements and the creeds and stuff. Yeah. And I think it, it could get to a point where it is bad. Like we're saying, you know, there could be a point where you're so following a creed that you just lose sight of where it's trying to take you. Um, but the the issue here is we have to frame it for the right problem, right? If the problem's changing, um, if the problem is that we need to be a better person, you know, then maybe drinking Coke or not drinking, well, actually Coke's not even an issue, but maybe following the word of wisdom or not, you know, is that really the best thing to talk about being a good person? Uh, you know, right. Yeah. So we got, we got to frame it with the right framework. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so one of the things that, um, that's really interesting about what's happening right now in uh, in the church, maybe not in the church, that's too specific, maybe just within Mormonism, let's say. They recently, someone recently published a version of the Book of Mormon where in which they formatted the book as if it were like a type of screenplay. So what they do is they it has extra wide margins where you can annotate things and then each set of, uh, or like each, instead of it being broken up into verses, it's broken up into paragraphs of, text and then it tells you who is saying it and where it's being said mm. and that's how you read yeah. and then instead of dividing the book into uh, verses and chapters it's divided up into events and so you read an event and then you read another event and i think that's really cool because this is what happens um we've been reading the bible okay well yeah we've been reading the bible and the book of mormon for a long time now in this verse by verse format and the problem with that is well, okay the benefit of that is it's really easy to organize the scriptures. It's really easy to memorize bits of information and it's really easy to keep track of all the, the doctrinal points. Great. I think that's super beneficial. The problem with that though, is that you lose just the simple formatting of the text. It, um, it, you lose the narrative structure of, of the text and then people start to focus on, Oh, well the scripture, the scripture says this rather than, Oh, what's the, what's the arc of the, of the narrative, right? Mm. And then you can start, and, and here's a really good example. The Book of Mormon, if you read it at a verse by verse sort of a way, and then, you know, what add to that Joseph Smith's statement that the Book of Mormon is the most correct book of any book, right? Mm. Well, then each, each verse that you read has a, sir, uh, a, a, you know, a given amount of authority and weight because it's part of the correct, um, you know, the most correct book, right? But then if you look at it, if you, if you reframe it and look at it from a, a narrative structure, what's the first thing you'll notice? Well, the Book of Mormon is a, is a tragedy, right? Mm. And so... It ends bad, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it ends bad. Everyone dies, right? And so that then changes the context of all the verses you're reading, right? And yeah. then you have mm -hmm. to start deciphering, okay, well, the narrative of the Book of Mormon leads to a disastrous end what was it about this that we can learn? You know, what can we derive from this? What can we learn from this? And what will help us avoid that same fate? And that's the point of tragedy, right? You learn something from it. Um, and so looking at it from a verse-by-verse -verse perspective, you, you, it's not that you lose that, but it's just not so salient to you. Whereas you take it from a narrative perspective and then different things about the text and the meaning of each verses starts to change. That's a super good point. I yeah, I remember, I can't help but think of like, 
I was taking a BYU religion class and it was with uh, the founder of Joseph Smith papers, one of them, Dirk Matt. Oh yeah, I met him. <laughs> You've met Dirk? He's a cool guy. He's a funny guy. Oh wait, he I met I met I think I met Robin Scott Jensen, the the lead uh, historian who's oh, okay. going that. Histo- yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a couple of them. I think McKay as well is on there. Uh, but um yeah, he he kept me entertained all night. I had an evening class. I never like even tried to fall asleep because it was super entertaining. Yeah, he was but, great. He uh he mentioned, you know, it's funny, you know, you always want to think what it's like to be in a ward with someone who's like super knowledgeable like him. And he talks about his gospel doctrine classes where they're they're all hinged up on this one word in this verse. And they're like, but what does this mean? And and then he's like thinking to himself, well, actually in the, the eighteen whatever hundred manuscript, it wasn't even in that manuscript. So I don't need to worry about it. Oh man. That <laughs> reminds he, he me of say that, but that reminds me of I was at this um, there's this friend of my wife and she invited us over. Her parents were doing this presentation at a state conference. And for like two hours, he was going off on this contradiction, this contradictory word he found in the Pearl of Great Price and how he reconciled that. And I was just like, man, like fair enough that you can talk about this for two hours. But like, I, I just felt like it was missing the point. It was so, it was like so down in the weeds. I was like, I don't think that one word really matters that much if you look at the whole you know the big picture or like the mm-hmm. the meta narrative of the pearl of great price and stuff but that yeah that just kind of reminds me of that and i was just like man this is really boring i can't believe he's getting so into this one word and everyone else was kind of falling asleep too. <laughs> yeah no that great points there but uh yeah i guess before we close here we've been going for i think over an hour which yeah really good topics um I guess, is is there anything we missed? Anything else? Uh, last comments or anything we want to bring up, Justin or Alejandro? Um, yeah, I, I wanted to bring up one last thing, um, sure. which I think will tie up our discussion. One of the things that I spoke about in, in the, at the conference was I brought up this issue of framing and breaking frame and what do we do about that? Um, and then I also pointed out that um, a lot of critics of the church maybe aren't doing such a good job at um, rebuilding frames. And so uh, one of the things that John Verveke is currently working on, and I highly recommend you guys check out his work. Super yeah, remind me, John Verveke. John Verveke. Uh, his YouTube series is called Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. Okay. okay. I think I've heard of that, yeah. Is, is yeah he, does he write books? Is he... he has one book called Zombies in Western Culture, and um, that's about the meaning crisis. And it's more about, uh, well, it's about domicide, the book. Okay. which is uh, something I talked about, okay. which is, which means like the destruction of your home. And he talks about like what zombie, well, his, the point of that book was they noticed that the zombie was becoming more and more of a cultural symbol and they're yeah. trying to explore what that means. And that's a whole other discussion. It's really cool though. I'd be interested because I am <laughs> definitely into cod zombies. So, Oh yeah, no, you'd, you'd love that book. It's great. You can download <laughs> cool. it for free somewhere. Um, which is nice. Cool. Um, so one of the things that one of the arguments that he makes, which I think is really cool, um, he does a lot of. So he John Verveke is a cognitive scientist, and his major work in, in the field of psychology is what he calls relevance realization. And he explores how our minds um, determine what's relevant, and then how we cultivate that relevance. And he talks about he goes in you know technically into how that go, how that process um, unfolds. But but he's also talking about spirituality, which I think is cool. And one of the things that he said that uh, really struck me 
was that uh, he was exploring what what sacredness what sacredness might be or what it might mean and one of the ideas that he put forward was that sacredness one of the ways that you can describe sacredness is that which is always relevant and so hmm. when you when you when people break these frames and it's time to rebuild them which is not an easy task the temptation is to throw the baby out with the bathwater right mm-hmm. um and so if we can if we can start approaching these problems like our mormon belief and um and we can start figuring out okay well maybe this frame here is bad we need to break it but what do we replace it with we have to start figuring out what's always relevant to us and what's always sacred for us and um for me i think that starts with uh with uh, the home the symbolism of like the home like the the whole my entire talk was about domicide and the destruction of home and for mormons the sacredness of the home is like one of our biggest motifs and symbols that we have and i think uh we'll do a great disservice if we ignore that and so that's a good starting point uh figuring out like you know getting our homes in order making our homes a sacred place and then um john verbakian in that book zombies in western culture he makes the argument that worldview is just an extension of the of the metaphor of home and and uh and and home is like a microcosm of like what your worldview is and so getting that fortified is going to really help us um along with these like relevance realization practices is really going to help us not only like break frame and create better frames, but like retain what's sacred and what's important. That's really interesting. I was actually going to ask you after the, your talk, I forgot to, but uh, that if, if that word domicile, you know, breaking, destroying the home, if you meant that actually more metaphorically, like your home, you know, it can be anything. It's, it's your life. It's your existence, your meaning. Um, well, um, well, one of the things I, one of the things I argue in, in that um, in in that talk in that talk was within the Book of Mormon's uh, narrative, um, people lose their home all the time, right? Within mm-hmm. within the first what ten percent of the book, people are displaced and wars break out and and people experience the destruction of their home. And and yeah, it, to a certain extent, it's a metaphor, but it's all, it, but it can be literal too because when people feel disenfranchised. Uh, and marginalized and they feel that they no longer have a home literally they start to engage in these parasitic um cognitive processes and, and the the argument that i made was the the gnostics and their view their their view of um let's say uh, um an imperfect unwise creator that made a terrible world that was a response to the domicile that they experienced um in greece or in uh in in europe Hmm. and um and then what was the domicide there like what was the historical oh good question so alexander the great um conquered the the known world right and so that's one cause of domicide he just wiped out all those kingdoms and cities and stuff like that and then after that initial domicide over the course of several centuries alexander's kingdom or empire broke into four smaller kingdoms which continually went to war and so that just continued the domicile that they experienced same thing happens in the book of mormon where these people um, experience a loss of home and then if you start talking to people like kate kelly and chandelin they'll describe their faith crisis in similar language they'll say oh well i know i no longer feel i have a home in the church and so yeah. um 
yeah, it, to a certain extent, it's a metaphor, but it's also it's also well, metaphorical symbols. Let's say, um, always point to like uh, patterns of a lived experience, and so um, there's a tight connection between how we experience our homes and what and how um, coherent and meaningful our worldviews are, and then how that's going to be a buffer to this impact to like a bunch of uh let's say faith crises that are on the horizon awesome thank you for well, some yeah. of that. that was a really good summary and solution to the problem i think yeah well that was a very fascinating exploration of gnosticism mormonism jordan peterson and and all these other themes that run throughout so thank you so much for elaborating on that and and coming on the show today it was very enjoyable. Yeah, I appreciate it. You made me uh, build some new connections with all those. Uh, yeah. yeah, for sure. No, thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. Appreciate yeah. It. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining. If you enjoyed listening to this, please share and like it. And we'd be happy to hear your feedback and what other topics you'd like to hear. So thank you for tuning in tonight. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. It's Small Talk with the Lees. And you can leave a comment and let us know what you thought of um, all our topics we talked about today. And if you'd like to see the, the three talks that were given at the Lobster Conference with Jordan, uh, on Jordan Peterson's work and Mormonism, uh, check out the Facebook page. It's Jordan Peterson. Latter-day Lobsters and Sorted Saints and the Restored. All right. It was a good episode. We appreciate you coming on the show, Alejandro. Anytime. Anytime.